it's important to know the right way to get there. There's a lot of great ways to get to a lot of great places. Uh, when we go back to visit family in Cleveland, uh, the Turnpike is a great but expensive way uh, to get back to them. It's definitely the quickest way to get back to them. The Turnpike is a wonderful tool, tool depending on where you want to go. If you're traveling west somewhere or east, the Turnpike's a great way to go. But the Turnpike is of little value if you're aiming to go to Orlando. Or, Orlando. Orlando. If you're seeking to go to Texas, maybe it could help you some of the way, but not all of the way. Depending on your destination, there are many great roads, but they're not helpful. And they could even lead, lead you further from your destination. This morning, we're looking at Jesus as he makes this bold declaration that he is the way, that he is the truth, and he is the life. And the first thing he does in John chapter 14 is point to the future hope that we have. Verses 1 through 4. Where it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I not come again? I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, Jesus has just been spending time with his disciples letting them know that he is about to go away from them. And again, they have spent the last three years that they have been with Jesus basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the past three years. And Jesus begins talking more intensely about the fact that he's about to go away. And he gives them many pretty direct hints that he's about to be betrayed and put to death and rise on the third day. But in the midst of that, in the midst of telling them that he's about to go away, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Not only is he going away, but he just got done predicting that one of them would betray him. It's a lot of heavy news if you're a disciple of Jesus for him to dump all of, all of this on you at once. But he tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be agitated. Don't let there be this inward commotion within you because I'm telling you that I'm going away. Jesus, that's easy for you to say. If I'm one of the disciples, that's cause for great inner turmoil. Jesus, why? I mean, from the disciples' perspective, it has to feel like they've just begun doing the work that Jesus had come to do. I mean, three years goes by really, really fast. Like, Jesus, we, we just, we're just starting to click. We're just starting to you know, really get into what you've called us to do, and now you're talking about going away. But he tells them why they shouldn't be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. To believe here means to put your confidence in. It's not simply believing in the sense of a mental assent to something. It is investing yourself in that which you believe in, putting your confidence in that. And so Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry about the fact that I'm going away. Don't let there be this inner turmoil in you because I'm going away. Rather, put your confidence in me. Put your confidence in God the Father. Trust in me. Trust in what I'm telling you. Trust in what I'm going to do. In other words, I have a plan. Because he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So what's one reason why the disciples shouldn't be in the midst of inner turmoil because Jesus is going away? He says, because I have a plan, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Okay, that sounds pretty good. That gives me reason to put my confidence in. But then he says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus says, don't worry. I know this is scary right now, but don't worry because I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and I'll take you to be where I've prepared a place for you with me in the presence of my Father. And then he says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. In the midst of this uncertainty that's about to overtake the disciples, in the midst of this inner turmoil, this inner distress of Jesus leaving them, of leaving them to fend for themselves, he says, don't worry, put your confidence in me. Set your hearts on something that's yet to come. Put your focus on something that's still ahead of you. And he points them to this future hope. That yes, things are going to be difficult for the disciples after Jesus leaves. Most of them are going to face brutal deaths. So Jesus, why shouldn't I then have inner turmoil? You're leaving us. We're going to face intense persecution. Why shouldn't I have inner turmoil? Jesus says, because of what's waiting for you. Because of what is still ahead of you in the future. And that is a place with me in my Father's house for all of eternity. To what extent does that give us hope? The hope of being eternally in the presence of Jesus. Do we allow that hope to stir us daily whenever we face inner turmoil, whenever we face difficult seasons of life, whenever things seem to mount against us, whenever everything around us tells us to give up hope and just let go? Do we keep our eyes focused on the promise of Jesus, of the future hope we have in him? Harvard Medical School put out an article that said, hope can be an opportunity for us to process events that seem insurmountable. A massive setback in life, a crushing accident, a vigil held during a relative's last days in the intensive care unit, or even our own final months living with a fatal disease can be times when hope for comfort or reprieve serves as a pathway from one stage to the next. And if that's the assessment of the Harvard Medical School, then to what extent can we say the word of God even more so? That we don't have this vague hope that maybe on the other side things will be better. That maybe someday things are going to be better. But we have the certainty and the promise of Jesus that there is a place for us. There is a home waiting for us with him in the Father's house for all of eternity. And no matter what we face, no matter what we endure in this life, it's nothing compared to the future hope that we have. Now, it doesn't diminish the severity of what we face in this life. But it reminds us to not put all of our focus 
and all of our energy on right here and right now, but to realize this is passing. I have a future hope that's waiting for me. And he gives this little clue in verse 4, and he says, and you know the way to where I'm going, to which we're introduced to Thomas, of course. Forgetting that I'm doing my own slides here, but the way to that place is Jesus. That's why Jesus said in verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going, and he picks up in verse 5 with Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? I mean, yes, Thomas is known as the doubter, but fair question. If Jesus just out of the blue says, I'm going away, I'm going to go make a place for you, you know where I'm going, you know how to get there. Not really. We don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know how to get there? I mean, it's, it's kind of like Abraham. God says, go to the land I'm going to show you. Okay, where am I going? I'll let you know when you get there. Okay. For all the doubts Thomas has, it's not an out-of-bounds question. But verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas asks a fair question, a question that most of us might ask. And in verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. The way to where Jesus is going, the way to the Father's house is a person. The person of Jesus Christ. The way to the Father's house is not from a list of do's and don'ts though there's a place for that. The way to the Father's house is through a person, and Jesus says, I am the way. I am the one way to get there. If, if you don't go through me, you're not going to get to the Father's house. It's as simple as that. The road might be great that you're traveling. It might be a really good road. Lots of nice things. Maybe it's got one of those famous Bucky's rest stops on the side of the road, but it might be a great road, but it's not going to get you to the Father's house. The only way to the Father's house is through me. But Jesus takes it one step further. It says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The scripture tells us that no one has seen God and lived to tell about it. But Jesus says, if you've known me, you've known the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This beautiful mystery of the Trinity that somehow God becomes flesh in Jesus who was the word from eternity past comes into this world but yet at the same time God the Father is still in heaven. The throne of heaven has not been abdicated. So God exists in the Father in heaven Jesus on earth and in the person of the Holy Spirit. So even though they're three distinct members of the Trinity, they are such a oneness that Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, Jesus says, look at me. 
Because the scripture says he is the exact imprint of the Father. He is the Father on display for us to see in human form. He is, in the third point, the revelation of the Father. Verses 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus says, guys, Philip, you've been with me for three years. You've seen everything that I've done. And you haven't picked up on the fact that the Father is in me? That I'm in my Father? What have you been watching, Philip? What have you been observing for the past three years that you haven't picked up on this? Jesus saying that the God is spirit, but I am God in flesh. You see me, you see the Father. John chapter 1, verse 1. Where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. But the God, God is also the Father. God is also the Son. Three in one. Jesus is God. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So, the second person of the Trinity God the Son, Jesus Christ, has made known to us God the Father. Through how he lived, what he did, what he declared, everything about Jesus is a revelation of the Father, displaying for us who the Father is. But not only that, as if Jesus just keeps adding more and more. He promises this future hope of a place with him in the Father's house forever, he says, I am the revelation of the Father. I am the way to the Father. The Father's in me. I'm in the Father. And with that, there's the promise of more. The promise of more. How can there be more? Verse, verses 12 through 15. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I, I don't even know what to say. Jesus is leading up to, in chapter 14, to begin to teach them about who the Holy Spirit is. And the last Sunday of this month is Pentecost Sunday as we... Remember the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And Jesus is building up to that, saying that whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, just put a period there for a second. As I think about the things that Jesus did, or at least the things that were told about, again, Scripture says that he does a lot of other stuff, but these were just the snapshots. Am I reading this wrong? Whoever believes in me, so that, that's us, right? We believe in Christ, the Savior. 
Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Fail. If I put my life up against how Jesus lived his life, okay, forget about raising the dead, forget about healing the sick, forget about opening the eyes of the blind, just how he loves the people who hate him, I fail. Just how he interacts with the least of these, I fail. But Jesus says, because of what I'm about to tell you about in the Holy Spirit, you're going to do, if you believe in me, the same works that I do. But he doesn't put a period there, as if that wasn't enough. He says, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. What? Now there's debate what Jesus means here. He simply says greater works, or at least that's how John puts it in the Greek. The word greater that's used there by John can either mean greater in number or greater in intensity. So basically greater in quality or greater in quantity. Maybe both. We're not sure exactly what Jesus meant. Either way, I look at my life and I look at what Jesus says here. And I'm forced to one conclusion. However we want to define the greater works that Jesus says we should be doing, I look at this, and I can't even get past the, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. I look at this and say, Jesus, I'm missing something. I'm missing something in my relationship with you that you're holding out for me. There's a place of relationship that you want me to come to, to where this verse could be said of my life. And Jesus, I'm not anywhere near that. Now, do I want intimacy with Christ just so I can do all this cool stuff? No, it's showing me that there is a deeper place of relationship with him, period. And these are simply fruits that are available. I don't know how a passage like this resonates with you. But I look at this, and then I read the book of Acts. And I sit back, and I can either do as some do and form a theology saying, well, that was just a one-time thing, and that's no longer available for any follower of Christ. Which, nowhere in Scripture do I see that that's an explanation offered. Because that seems really cruel to me as well. For Jesus to say, Here, here's everything Jesus did, to make a statement like he just made, to give us this, the exciting book of Acts and to say, don't get too excited, that's not for you. I look at this and I say, Lord, I've been following you for decades. 35 years? 35 years I've walked with Jesus. Haven't gotten to that yet haven't gotten to this kind of intimacy with Christ yet. I'm falling short of, of what Jesus desires for me. People like A.W. Tozer, it's hard to track down who said it first, but he said, you're as close to God right now as you have chosen to be. And that statement has haunted me for years. You're as close to God right now as you have chosen to be. I look at what Jesus promises here. I look at the book of Acts. 
and I've made other choices. I'd rather invest myself in this and a little bit of this over here. Do I take this as guilt and condemnation? No, it's just an, an inner conviction in me of I'm missing. I'm missing so much in what could be true in my relationship with Christ. And again, not so that, oh, if I do this, then I'm going to be famous or something. Because look what he goes on to say. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that you can have everything you've ever wanted. Verse 13 actually says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The word glorify means to magnify, to shine a light on. In other words, Jesus says, the promise of all of this, what I'm inviting every follower to enter into, is to live a life in such a way that it so reflects me and I reflect the Father that the way you live your life is going to take a big magnifying glass and a floodlight and big fluorescent arrows. Say, everybody, look at Jesus. Look at how amazing Jesus is. Look at who he is. Look at who he's made available for you. Look at his kindness. Look at his grace. Look at his mercy. Look at his patience. Look at Jesus. And I wonder with my life, am I living my life in any way that makes people say, I want the Jesus that he has. I can think of people in my life who have left me wanting more of Christ. And my prayer has been, Lord, let me be that for someone else so that somehow through me, they want more of you. But yet I still come back to this and I see what Jesus says should be true. And I, I say, Jesus, you've made available so much more than I'm receiving. You've invited me into a depth that I haven't even begun to wade out into. Again, not for me to walk out of here with my head hanging and I'm such a failure. But to say, Lord, I don't ever want to feel satisfied with where I am in my walk with you. Because there is so much more that I haven't even experienced yet. I could say, well, you know, it's been 35 years. I think I've about attained what I'm going to attain. Nowhere close. There's so much more. Jesus is inviting each one of us into something so much more, so much deeper, to bring him so much more glory than simply saying, okay, check, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. But there's so much more closeness with him. There are so many more ways in which my life can shine a big magnifying glass and say to everybody, come look at Jesus. Pray that that stirring is in your soul. To say, Lord, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there in my life, but you're hinting at something so much deeper. And I want to wade out into those deeper waters. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.